American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all Welcome away. to another episode of Timelines. I'm Amy and that's Joe. And we love you and we're back. We're back, baby. It's been a while, sorry, but we're starting a new season. We're jumping into the 40s. We're Well, we're doing a year by year though this time. Yeah, so. we're going to try definitely to go back to what we did originally in the first couple seasons. Yes. Where so we don't this, delve as much into the minutiae. So this episode is about 1940. We're just going to cover 1940, even though there was quit four trying murders. To, quit trying to... I'm just saying, there's four out. murders in 1940, but I'm we're sure going to try to cover that, them all. But... I mean, at least four. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, a lot of lynchings, because we're going to get into the 40s, whereas the farther back we go, the more racist America was. Or at least overtly. Yeah, it's very overtly. So a lot of lynchings in 1940, which isn't great. Which is awful. Um, <coughs> we're going to talk a little bit about that stuff and what it was like in 1940 in America American timelines. Here we go. Let's jump right in, Aim. All right. You know how sometimes I have some things that don't have a date? Yes. They're 1940? Yes. Well, it's kind of all this, but some of the things have dates. But first, just a couple things that I'm going to cover. Uh, one is the Christian Front. Have you ever heard of the Christian Front? No. I'm just going to quickly just read you what Wikipedia said about the Christian Front, because I feel like I've heard of this before, but it wasn't aware. But it was an anti-Semitic political association active in the U.S. from 1938 to 1940, like ended in mm. 1940. So maybe we'll get more into that when we get to the 30s. But it started in response to a radio priest named Charles Coughlin. He was like a crazy Christian guy. He was mainly based in New York City. He's a Catholic guy. And many of its members were Irish and German-American Catholics. Their activities included distributing like-minded publications and participating in rallies. After the American government began investigations in the late 30s, a few members were arrested and prosecuted, and the trials of these members discredited the entire movement, and by the end of 1940, the Christian Front was no longer active. So it was just a small blip of, of a racist anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. anti-Semitism. And, uh, but the, how about a cool thing about 1940 is, are you aware of a place called Alcatraz? Yes. And did you know it's haunted? Yes. You did know that. Uh, kind of. So Alcatraz, yeah, it's one of the most famous haunted places. Like yes. It's one, supposedly one of the most most haunted uh, places in America. Uh, with its centuries-old history from ancient Native Americans to Fort Alcatraz to a military barracks that was there before as a prison, yeah. it's often known as one of the toughest federal penitentiaries, penitentiaries in the nation. The Rock is said to be the most haunted place in the nation. Really? Yeah. I thought the White House was. Or Gettysburg. That's what I thought Gettysburg oh, was. Well, I guess one of the most haunted. Yeah, maybe. probably. Maybe it's not that. But I think lots of people who were sentenced there mm-hmm. uh, seemingly never left because they ended up dying there. But a former guard who worked at the prison in the 40s reported that guards often saw the ghostly presence of a man dressed in late 1800s prison attire. 
walking in the hallway next to the strip cells. Oh, wow. Over by the strip cells. You know what the strip cells are? I guess where they strip search you. Yeah, and I, I think they... I think you're a danger to yourself, so they just you can't have any clothing because you're hanging yourself. So you just have to be in there naked. I guess probably it's awful. Wow. On one occasion, when an inmate was locked in the hole, he immediately began to scream that someone with glowing eyes was in there with him. Ooh. And that spectral prisoner had become so much of a practical joke among the guards that the convicts' cries of being attacked were ignored. The inmates' screams continued well into the night when they were suddenly replaced by total silence. Yeah. When the guards inspected the cell the following morning, the convict was found dead with a terrible expression on his face and noticeable handprints around his throat. The autopsy revealed that the strangulation was not self-inflicted. That sounds like an urban legend. At the time, many believed that the inmate was strangled by a guard, maybe, who had finally had enough of his screaming. Probably it was. Though investigation was made, no one ever admitted to the strangling. Most believed that the prisoner was killed by the restless evil spirit of the 19th century prisoner, who was often seen wandering the corridors. Ooh. Adding to the mystery, mm-hmm. you won't believe this part, but adding to the mystery, when the guards lined up the convicts for a daily count, it was said that one too many convicts were in the lineup. <laughs> At the end of the row appeared the recently strangled convict. As everyone, everyone, guards and prisoners like looked on in stunned silence, the ghostly figure vanished. Yeah. Right. Right. Everybody. That's according to legendsofamerica.com. So there you go. It's a ghost story. That's a good legend. That's a good like ghost that? story, yeah. And then jumping into January, on January 5th, 1940, was the murder of Laura Law. Okay. This is one you didn't feel like covering. Uh, she was a Finnish immigrant, and she was the wife of militant labor leader Richard Law. Yes. She was mysteriously murdered on January 5th, 1940, and it's still unsolved. Uh, but they think it had to do with commun- and communism, mm-hmm. anti-communism. There, she was probably murdered by the right-wing anti-union yeah. uh, people. Yeah. Um, Laura Law's parents discovered her body murdered in her Aberdeen, Washington home, and her head was crushed after being struck with an axe. Yikes. But the murder occurred in such a quiet manner that Law's mother discovered her death while her small son slept in the adjacent room. Didn't even wake him up. Oh, my gosh. So regarding who killed her and why, there are plenty of unanswered questions. Uh, But and despite even despite being at a union meeting at the time of the murder of Richard Law, her husband was one of the suspects. Because the husband always is. Yeah. Uh, but communist and labor activist Richard Shelton Law was the husband, and he asserted that Laura discovered government operatives searching for information f- for the House Un-American Activities Committee, which led to the murder. According to other reports, she was executed by Soviet communists for maybe knowing information about the Winter War that was still going on at the time. Uh, so nobody really knows, uh, but Law thinks... It was the Aberdeen Business Builders, a right-wing anti-union organization that killed Killed her her as a threat to him or maybe as payback for things he's done. Yeah. And then in February, we have two news anchors born the same month in 1940. Jeez. You know who they are around this time, born in 1940? What old news anchor guys? Mike Wallace? Nope. Uh, They both start with, their first name both start with T. Ted Koppel? Yep. And Tom Brokaw. Yes, they were both February 6th and February 8th. They were both born in February of 1940. Okay. And they both have had sex. No. I bet they both. You don't think one of them's a virgin? Well, yes. They both had sex. I thought you were going to say with each other. Uh, The jury's out on that one. seemed like you were heading that way. You don't know. They could have had sex together. February 14th, 1940, we have another murder. 
And this was the murder. Um, well, this was a murderer who was the only woman ever to be executed in mm. Louisiana's electric chair. I did read about this one. Yeah, Tony Joe Henry was her name. Mm-hmm. She was born Annie Beatrice McQuistian in Shreveport, Louisiana. She was the third of five children. She lived with her grandmother for a while while her mother was ill. And then her mother died of TB when she was six years of age. Uh, after her mother died, she lived with her father and stepmother, but she always wanted to go back to living with her grandma. She worked part-time at a macaroni factory at 13, but was f- canned when the manager found out there was a TB in her family, tuberculosis. Oh. And after her father whooped her ass for losing her job, she left home and became a street hustler and a prostitute. Changing Good her for name. Her. She changed her name to Tony Joe Hood at this point. Yeah. She later worked in a brothel in Shreveport's, Shreveport's red light district. She then became addicted to cocaine Aww. and started expanding her services in other parts of Louisiana and South Texas. In 1939, she met Claude Henry, one of her customers in Austin, a down-on-his-luck prize fighter and cowboy, uh, fell in love with this young woman, and they got married on November 25th of 1939. The couple honeymooned in Southern California. Upon returning from California, Claude Henry was then arrested for a previous murder of a former San Antonio police officer, Arthur Sinclair. Uh, he was found guilty in January of 1940 and sentenced to 50 years in the Texas State Penitentiary at, at Huntsville. Mm. So Tony Joe then began contemplating plans to break her husband out of Huntsville prison. She recruited an accomplice, an ex-con and army deserter named Harold Archie Burks, who claimed to know the layout of the penitentiary. Penitentiary, I can't say. I know. In an attempt to obtain funds to help Free Claude Henry from prison, the two planned a bank robbery. They talked two teens into breaking into a gun store so they could take ammo and firearms for themselves. Mm. Uh, and then they came across Joseph Calloway, uh, who was hitchhiking while he was he was uh, dropping off a Ford Coupe to a friend, and he offered to give the two a ride. Oh, no, wait. They came across Joseph Calloway, who picked them up because they were hitchhiking. Oh, okay. Uh, and... And he was dropping off a Ford Coupe to a friend, so he offered to pick up the two, not knowing their scheme. So Tony Joe and Archie robbed Calloway at gunpoint when they were driving through Jennings, Louisiana. Uh, Then they drove down a country road with him, locked in the trunk of his own car. The two intended to use the Ford as a getaway car, but they quickly made the decision to stop it on a rural road. And they told Calloway to get out of the car. He was led to a field and instructed to undress so Tony would have clothes for her hubby when they broke him out of jail. After being shot once in the head with a thirty-two caliber revolver, Calloway passed away on the spot. Aww. When they reached Camden, Arkansas, Archie became concerned about how far Henry would go to break her husband out of prison and left her taking the car. Okay, so they still had the car. I don't know why about that bit about leaving the car. Um, but th- they were going to use that car as their getaway car. Uh, but because he was so concerned, well, he, she was willing to kill this guy and do all this just to, just to get her husband out. I'm out of here. I mean, he left her. Yeah. So uh, Henry returned to Shreveport by bus where she sought refuge with her Aunt Emma and told her she had murdered a man near Lake Charles, Louisiana. The aunt contacted her brother, who was a Louisiana state trooper, and Henry was arrested. She was later interviewed by a Shreveport police officer during which she confessed to the murder and disclosed the location of the body. Her first trial was held in March of 1940 at at a courthouse, uh, a place I can't. Uh, 
pronounce. Okay. Because of her good looks and the possibility of death penalty and the severity of the charges, the trial gained much press coverage. Mm-hmm. She claimed that Birch was the one who fired the fatal shot, but after deliberating for six hours, the jury convicted her and sentenced her to death by hanging. Birch was later convicted and sentenced to death also. Tony Joe appealed and was granted a new trial on the grounds that publicity surrounding the trial prejudiced the outcome. So she got a second trial. And that took place in 1941. Unlike the first trial, Birch took the stand and testified against Tony Joe. And after an hour of deliberation, she was again convicted and sentenced to death. She again appealed and was granted another trial. A third trial was held. Hmm. And she was again convicted and sentenced to death. She appealed, but this time her appeal was declined. And uh, so at this point... During this time of her trials, the method of execution changed from hanging to electrocution. So that's why she was electrocuted. Oh. Uh, she was uh, electrocuted on November 28th, 1942. Four days prior to her execution, Claude Henry escaped from prison to see his wife one last time and was recaptured in Beaumont, Texas. Soon afterwards, he was paroled mm-hmm. due to ill health. And then he was shot to death by a cafe owner on July 15th, 1945 in Dallas while out on parole. Oh. Henry's story is the focus of the 2013 film entitled The Pardon, which was shot on location in Shreveport. It stars actress Jamie King as Tony Joe Henry. I'm unfamiliar. Yeah, but you watched that. And then a couple things that happened in 1940. A lot of firsts, a lot of new things. The character Elmer Fudd first appeared in Warner Brothers' animated short called Elmer's Candid Camera. Mm-hmm. On March 2nd, 1940. On March 6th of 1940, Detective Comics number 38 was published. This was the first appearance of Batman sidekick Robin. Oh. And Willie Stargell, baseball player, was born that day. The great Willie Stargell. March 10th, Chuck Norris was born in Ryan, Oklahoma. March 26th, James Conn and Nancy Pelosi were both born on the same day. A lot of people wow. didn't know that. They yeah. could be twins. Nobody knows. You don't know. April 24th of 1940, issue number one of the comic book Batman was published, and this is the debut of the Joker and Catwoman, initially called The Cat. Mm. April 25th, Al Pacino's born. May 12th was a Sunday, and uh, child star Shirley Temple canceled her movie contract with 20th Century Fox and retired from film acting at age 11 uh, through her mother, Gertrude Temple. She mm. retired at age 11. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this until I read this. There were a lot of myths and rumors about Shirley Temple. Oh, probably. Um, they, there were false claims circulated that she was not a child, but a 30-year-old dwarf. Oh, my God, really? Due in part to her stocky body type. Mm-hmm. The rumor was so prevalent, especially in Europe, that the Vatican actually dispatched Father Silvio Massante to investigate whether she was indeed a child. Oh, my God. The fact that she never seemed to miss any teeth led to some people to conclude that she had all her adult teeth. That was another reason they thought she was an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she actually was losing her primary teeth regularly, uh, and and she would uh, wear like wear, a prosthetic. Yeah, she'd wear dental plates and yeah. caps to hide the gaps in her teeth. Um, there was another rumor that she had her adult teeth filed down to look like baby teeth. Jeez. And there were rumors about her trademark hair that it was a wig, and fans would like yank her hair because they thought it was fake. Uh, so. People are lovely. Poor Shirley Temple. I know. Although yeah. I think she wasn't a very nice person oh, really? as an adult. I remember Mr. Rogers was interviewed somewhere and he interviewed, he had her on and she was so unpleasant. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I can't remember specifically. There was something specific that she said or did. Mr. Rogers talked about it? Yeah, and he talked about it, and he never said anything bad about anybody. Oh, my gosh. Look that up, everyone, and report back. Or I'll look it up later, and we'll talk about it maybe next time. But I want to know about that. Yeah. Okay, May 17th, continuing the comic book trend, All-American Comics number 16 was published, Mm -hmm. featuring the first appearance of Green Lantern. Okay. All these in 1940. Elmer Fudd, Green Lantern. Batman, Robin, uh, June twentieth, nineteen forty. The uh, this is when we get rough stuff. Um, according to the Equal Justice Initiative, on June twentieth, nineteen forty, NAACP leader Albert Williams was abducted from his home in Brownsville, Tennessee, by a group of white men led by the local sheriff and the night marshal. Three days later, Mister Williams' lifeless and brutalized body was found in the nearby Hatchie River. He was thirty-one years old. Man. So Brownsville uh, had a history of discrimination and violence preventing African-Americans from voting Mm -hmm. uh, since 1884. By 1940, black people made up 75% of the 19,000 people in that town, and they wanted their voice to be heard. Yeah. And in May of 1940, members of the Brownsville chapter of the NAACP organized a voting rights drive, and Elbert was one of its leaders. A few days before his lynching, fellow NAACP leader Elisha Davis was abducted from his home by the same group of white assholes. Mr. Davis survived the attack, but was ordered to leave Brownsville or face death upon return. Soon after, when Mr. Uh, Williams refused to leave town or cease his voting rights work, he was killed. Uh, in the months following the lynching of Albert Williams. And none uh, of those people probably ever served a day in jail for anything. No, and that's it. That's just it. They don't even investigate no, or anything. because the police are in on, in on it. Yeah. In the months following the lynching of Albert Williams, up to 40 more black families were permanently driven from the community under threats of violence from the white mob. African Americans who remained in Brownsville were prohibited from meeting in groups, even prohibited from attending church services. Two African-American men were beaten to death after being arrested by the same night marshal who had helped to abduct Mr. Williams and Mr. Davis. Uh, despite investigations launched by local authorities, the Department of Justice, and the FBI, charges were never lodged against the well-known white men responsible. According to one contemporary observer, the perps of the abuses and murders can be seen in Brownsville each day going about their work as though they had killed only a rabbit. Jesus. As a result of the harassment, violence, and murder of its leaders, the Brownsville NAACP ended up dissolving in 1940, and a new oh. chapter wasn't formed until 1961. Jeez. Um, yep. Also in June 22nd of 1940, Jesse Thornton, a 26-year-old African-American who was lynched in the town of Laverne, Alabama, uh, was lynched allegedly for refusing to address a white man as mister. He was shot to death, and his body was thrown into the Petsalaga River. Hmm. I don't know if that's how you say it. But, uh, yeah. yeah, a police officer apparently heard him mention his name, leaving out Mr. Uh, and arrested him. But it, while he was taking him to jail, a mob started throwing stones at Thornton. Thornton managed to escape, but was shot by the mob that pursued him and shot him dead. The mob then went to his house where they abused his wife, Nellie May, uh, and threatened to kill her if she would tell on them. The NAACP's local chapter investigated, and with the assistance of Thurgood Marshall, sent a report to the U.S. Department of Justice, and no prosecution resulted from the investigation. Of course not. Report, of course. Yeah. And that brings us to your murder. My. The third murder of June 1940. Well, mine is actually a serial killer. Oh. Serial killer is a little more um, 
attention grabbing than yes. And his name is William, and it's either Johansson or Johansson. I'm not sure. It starts with a J. Is there a way to find out? Um, he was um born in Denmark, so I don't know if that helps. But Johansson. Johansson. So he murdered okay. three women, including his wife, as one of them. Ugh. Um, he was also known as Harry W. Gordon. Okay. He murdered in New York and California between 1933 and 1940. Mm. Sorry. Um, so he was born in Denmark in 1915. So he's more of a 30s murderer. That's just well, in 1940, 1940 yeah. yes. Um, born in 1915, moved to Massachusetts after he was born in Denmark. Um, he finished the eighth grade, and then he went into the Army. Okay. As an adult, he moved to New York, where he worked at theaters and restaurants, and he actually was found guilty of embezzlement from a restaurant that he had worked at. Uh-huh. So he um, got in a little bit of trouble as a youth. Then he got a job at a hospital morgue where that's when he started to kind of fantasize about like cutting people and stuff. And then he would get drunk on whiskey and have sex with the corpses at the morgue. Oh, well, that's a red flag. I would say. Maybe not for you, but for me, that's a red flag. If you're getting drunk at work on whiskey and then having sex with corpses, yeah. Both things are bad, but not equally as bad. One's worse. One's a little bit worse. So then he later marries a woman named Florence, and they had two children together before they separated. Okay. So at midnight on on October 20th, 1933, Mm -hmm. Johansson had an argument with Florence. He grabbed her by the throat, choked her until she died. He proceeded to place her corpse on the bed and cut open her abdomen with a boning knife to see if she was pregnant because she had told him she was. A boning knife? And What's a boning knife? Then he must have fled, and then investigators thought that she had committed suicide by, like, With Harry. a boning knife? Like, Harry Carey. Like, What's that? You don't know what Harry Carey Harry is? Harry Carey is the Sabuku? announcer for the Cubs? No, Harry Carey. When you take a big sword and you impale yourself. That's called Harry Carey? It's called Harry Carey. Why did I know that? I've never heard that before. Or Seppuku is another name Sudoku? for Sudoku? Those puzzles? It's oh. Jap- Japanese, I believe. Anyway. Hmm. I like Sudoku. So they were they ruled her death a suicide. That's ridiculous. So he then he assumes the alias of Harry W. Gordon. So did they just think did they just back then were they just like, oh she's crazy. Women are crazy. Yeah, probably. It's the 30s. Um he left New York to work as a sea merchant. Or is there foul play suggest like do you think the police were in on it? Well, no, it was him. Oh. He did it. I know, but why would the police rural it and because they're idiots. Oh, because they're stupid. So then he arrives in San Francisco about 18 months later. Okay. On the night of April 6, 1935, he solicited Lena Betty Coffin, a 35-year-old sex worker, on Market Street. Oh. The two went to a nearby motel, and he secured a room. They gave their names as Mr. and Mrs. H. Myers. And Johnson, oh, Johansson told the clerk he was a sailor. One hour later, he grabbed Coffin by the throat and strangled her into semi-consciousness. Afterwards, he taped her mouth shut to stop her from screaming and stabbed her to death. Then he disposes of her body. That it was it's unclear how nobody knows or where. He then cleaned the room of fingerprints and other evidence before went going back to his job. Like nothing ever happened. Like nothing happened. And then he got drunk and probably had sex with more corpses. Probably. Well, no, he's not working at the morgue anymore. Oh, no, yeah, because I've got another job where he's drunk. Probably. So then he heads to Portland and spends a substantial amount of time on the Gulf of Mexico and in Texas. Okay. However, he eventually returned to California and married Lydia Gordon, a woman who ran a flower shop on Long Beach. Then on June 24th, 1940... This woman married him? Mm-hmm. Not having any idea yep. what his background is, probably. That's right. 
So then he meets Robert Roberta Earl Irene McCarthy at a beer hall on Fifth Street. Even though he's married? Yeah. This other lady? They drank together and they both got real drunk. And then they went to a hotel after he bought a bottle of whiskey. Oh, but and... he's a married man. Honey, Sorry. that's the least of his. <laughs> yeah, that's the least of his problem. He registered under a room under Mr. and Mrs. J. Wilkins of Los Angeles. Okay. So then they go in the room. She undresses and goes to sleep. He tries to arouse her, but she won't wake up. So he strangles her to death with her own girdle. Oh, my gosh. Then Just because he... she's hammered. It, he says he cut off a portion of her torso with a knife. So it's probably her boobs. Uh, Placed them near boobs. her corpse. He then threw her body off the bed, turned over the mattress to hide the blood stains, and washed himself before leaving the hotel. Oh my goodness! Later that day, he took a bus to Los Angeles. So oh, why would you take a bus? No, I'm just kidding. That's probably what they. The hotel finds her, calls the cops, so they're investigating. They they investigate local bars. They found a witness who had seen McCarthy with him mm. and knew his alias. Oh, so police arrest him in Los Angeles on July 9th, nineteen forty, as he walked out of a meeting. Really? Employees of the hotel identified him as the man last seen with McCarthy, and he subsequently confessed to Coffin and and McCarthy's murders. And then he revealed his true identity and told them how he murdered his first wife. So oh he just like gosh. came just, clean on he everything. Just came out of everything. And that was so they arrested him two days after Ringo Starr was born in Liverpool. So um, he was charged with the two California murders. Okay. Although he wanted to plead guilty, his public defender wouldn't allow him to. So he instead plead pleaded innocent, but then later changed his plea to not guilty by reason of insanity. Okay, yeah, that's more believable. And he thought he was insane. He wanted to go into an asylum. He I said, think he's insane. He said- He's he, got to be insane. He told the judge, I'll kill some other women if you free me. I'll do it again, sure. Yeah. On a, in October 1940, he was found legally sane and automatically convicted of the murders. Legally sane? Yeah. One day it later, he be. was sentenced to death. And he was apathetic toward the verdict. He told the judge, it doesn't make any difference. So on September 5th, 1941, he was executed by gas chamber at the San Quentin State Prison. Uh He had previously told reporters that he didn't care about his upcoming execution, stating, I don't give a damn if I go to the gas house. Not much doubt I'm a menace. I've killed three women and I'd probably do it again unless they get me out of the way. I expect the worst. And the sooner it comes, the better. And he said it like that. He said it just like that. Yeah. I think he was insane. Yeah. That's the story. I don't understand the whole insanity thing because you can't be sane and do what he Somebody does. You can't. Well, the def- legal definition of insanity is not knowing right from wrong. Right. But I mean, if you uh, maybe he knows it's wrong, but he, while he's having sex with you, his you corpse, can kill somebody work? and know it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're having sex with corpses at your job, well, even if you know it's wrong, like that can't be sane. That's not a sane thing. I don't know, honey. Yeah, I still don't get it. I I guess I'm not a lawyer. That's why. <laughs> Well, let's finish up 1940. That's halfway through in June. Uh, I said Ringo Starr was born. Also, July 27th, 1940, Bugs Bunny made his debut in the animated short A Wild Hair. So now I have Elmer Fudd, Bugs Bunny, Batman and Robin. And uh, and, uh, in that same week, in July 27th, that week's issue of Billboard magazine began publishing a top 10 list of the best-selling retail records in the U.S., and that became the number one single in Billboard history. Uh, I mean, the f- the first official number one single in Billboard history was released at this point. And oh. It, and you want to know who who it was? Who? Tommy Dorsey. Oh. A song called I'll Never Smile Again. Have you ever heard that? I'll never smile again. Is that how it goes? Till I smile at you. Is that really how it goes? I think. 
40s lady. <laughs> anyway, this is the first number one song. Yeah. On the, Billboard, the Billboard charts. Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra. August 3rd, 1940, Martin Sheen was born in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And August 31st, film stars Lawrence Olivier and Vivian Lee were married at the San Ysidro Ranch in California. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say something about... I don't know. I don't want to spread rumors. Yeah, she... She had a lot of troubles. She, yeah, I didn't... You told me you thought she was a nymphomaniac, and I looked that up. I didn't see anything about that, but I did see a lot of... She had a lot of... Mental health. Yeah, mental health issues yeah. and substance abuse stuff. Um, but then let's jump all the way to September, shall we? Let's skip a couple weeks. Let's do week. it. September 5th, Raquel Welch was born in Chicago. Okay. Uh, September 7th, uh, we have another sad thing. Uh, late on the night of September 7th, 1940, a band of armed men, possibly in hoods, gathered outside the city jail in LaGrange, Georgia. Inside was a 24-year-old black man named Austin Calloway, also known as Austin Brown. He had been accused earlier the day in that day of assaulting a white woman. That night, the jail was in the hands of only one person, a 20-year-old jailer, was also operating the police radio. The men rushed in, forced the jailer to open Callaway's cell, and hustled him him into a waiting vehicle. The police did not pursue or raise an alarm. They did not call the sheriff, and they made no move to save Austin Callaway in any way. No, they were in on it. The next morning, a passerby found him on a road several miles outside of town, bleeding to death from gunshot wounds to the hands, arms, and head, and he died a few hours later. I don't know if you know this, but... The word lynching actually refers to any murder carried out by a group acting outside the law, but with the expectation of impunity. It's oh. not just death by hanging. Yeah. So that definition fits this exactly. Yeah, right. Police did not protect Callaway. They also failed to pursue the lynchers or investigate his death at all. No autopsy, no grand jury inquiry. In addition, the police chief faced no critical questions from the press or city council. Most white civic and religious leaders failed to speak out to condemn the lynching. Meanwhile, the African-American community did call for justice. Reverend L.W. Strickland, the pastor at Warren Temple, led mass meetings and helped charter the first local chapter of the NAACP to no avail. In late October, Strickland wrote Thurgood Marshall concluding, the city has settled the matter by ignoring it. Um, No police or grand jury ever investigated this lynching, and no one was ever held responsible for it. Yeah. Although, look on a lighter note, <clears throat> in January of 2017, LaGrange Police Chief Lou Deckmar and other city leaders formally apologized for the city's role in the lynching of Austin Calloway. In April of 2017, faith leaders held a service of confession and remembrance for the victims of lynchings in Trout County's history uh, and dedicated a marker in their memory at Warren Temple United Methodist Church of LaGrange. So you can see this guy, this police chief, Lou Deckmar, is a white guy and uh, online and giving a speech about this. Good. And there's a group uh, called Troop Together. Troop is the county. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of dedicated to oral history and and lynchings and, you know, putting out reports about this stuff. And so uh, a lot of this info I got was from trooptogether.wordpress.com. Um, Austin Keller's got a... a uh, an entry on that website. So this was formed to kind of try to heal 
mm-hmm. the, the county. Okay. Um, on October 9th, 1940, John Lennon was born. All right. Singer and songwriter of the Beatles in Liverpool. And to me, I had to stop for a second because realizing John Lennon's the same, same age as Ted Koppel yeah. and Tom Brokaw. Oh, Nancy these Pelosi. Not to me, these people that seem so fucking yeah. old. Well, he's But he died young. Died, so. Yeah. And then I fell in this rabbit hole online. You can look at pictures of what John Lennon would look like today. And oh, yeah. Second, oh, he looks like Bob Dylan or something. Mm. You know? uh, November 2nd, 1940, Big Nose Kate, uh, who was 89 years old, died. She was a Hungarian-born prostitute and the common-law wife of Old West gunfighter Doc Holliday. Oh, my God. Yep. Lord. She was born Mary Catherine Harani Cummings. In 1850, she was popularly known as Big Nose Kate. She was a Hungarian-born American outlaw, gambler, prostitute, longtime companion and common-law wife of Doc Holliday. Tough, stubborn, and fearless, she was. Uh, she was educated but chose to work as a prostitute due to the independence it provided her. She's the only woman with whom Holliday is known to have had a relationship. So there you go, Big Nose Kate. And that she must not have been a looker. Uh, if thinking. you look up pictures of her, she's not, not super hot. And super hot. Uh, and then on Sunday, November 10th of 1940, the Copacabana nightclub opened in New York City. Oh, that was a big so deal. that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, November 13th was a Wednesday, and the Walt Disney animated film Fantasia- Oh, that's a good one. Uh, was shown in stereophonic sound. It had its world premiere at the Broadway Theater in New York City. Uh, it was known as a uh, flop at the beginning, Fantasia, mm. but then it recouped years later and became real popular. And that same uh, that same week, November fourteenth, was a Thursday of nineteen forty, and the Nazis legalized the human consumption of dog meat within the German Reich. Oh, right, effectively uh, effective January first. Yikes! And November fifteenth, nineteen forty, was a Friday. The comedy team of Abbott and Costello made their screen debut in the comedy film One Night in the Tropics. Okay. And November twenty second was a Friday. All Star Comics number three was published, marking the debut. Of the first team of superheroes, the Justice Society of America. Okay. Also born that day was Terry Gilliam. Yeah. And that's American. Mm. He was born uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, he was? Yeah. Oh. I always thought he's, they he's were all British, British guys. Yeah. But uh, I don't get that. Monty Python? Woody Woodpecker made his debut November 25th of 1940. Mm-hmm. Bruce Lee was born November 27th in Chinatown, San Francisco. December 1st, one of the greatest birthdays of all time on American Timelines, Richard Pryor, stand-up comedian and actor, was born in Peoria. Oh, Illinois. yeah. He was good. Yeah, talk about this for a second. Did you know that Richard Pryor grew up in a brothel? No. He grew up in a brothel run by his grandmother, Marie Carter, where his alcoholic mother, Gertrude, was a prostitute. His father, Leroy Buck Carter Pryor, was a former boxer, hustler, and a pimp. Oh, my God. After Gertrude abandoned him when he was 10, Pryor was raised primarily by Marie, a tall, violent woman who would beat him for any of his eccentricities. Pryor was one of four children raised in his grandmother's brothel. He was sexually abused at age seven Aww. and expelled from school at age 14. While in Peoria, he became a, a Prince Hall Freemason at a local lodge. Wow. He was in the U.S. Army from 58 to 60, spent the virtual, uh, virtually the entire Army stint in prison, an Army prison. According to a 1999 profile about Pryor the New Yorker, he was incarcerated for an incident that occurred while he was stationed in West Germany. Angered that a white soldier was overly amused at the racially charged scenes of Douglas Sirk's film Imitation of Life, Pryor and several other black soldiers beat and stabbed him, but not, fa- not fatally. Oh. 
So a little bit about Richard Pryor that yeah. you didn't know. Um, Poor guy. Yeah, that's the one birthday I'm going in depth. December 8, 1940, the Chicago Bears beat the Washington Redskins 73 to zip in the NFL championship game at Griffith Stadium in D.C. It remains the most lopsided victory in NFL history. December 25th, the 21st, 1940, was a Saturday. Frank Zappa was born in Maryland. Frank Zappa was born on the same day F. Scott Fitzgerald died, so it could be oh. reincarnated. December 29th, 1940, Superman co-creator Joe Schuster was arrested in Miami Beach, Florida for the suspicious behavior of looking into an automobile as if preparing to steal it. The following day, he was sentenced to 30 days in prison until someone thought to give Schuster a pen and paper so he could prove his identity. And he drew a perfect illustration of Superman, and the police let him go. And that ends 1940. That's everything. A lot of pop culture. A lot of stuff. A lot of births. A lot of comic lot of books. Deaths, a lot of comic book stuff. That's when it was all beginning, because literally yeah, it's the all TV starting. wasn't really a thing yet. I know, yeah. You know? That's so. crazy. That's 1940 for you, folks. It was 1940 a lot of murders, in a nutshell. A lot of uh, lynchings. It was very racist. Pronounced moitas. You got. I know. I got to turn the sentence my phone. I'm sorry. This whole episode is just filled with your notifications. I apologize. Don't yell at me. Quit hitting me. It's Stop keeps, hitting me. It keeps notifying us. I know. It's doing that thing again where it gives me all these old text messages. Yeah. If you listeners, if you know how to fix that, tweet us. Yeah. Right. We can't tweet you us anymore. Tweet. I think I deleted Twitter. I did too. Uh, message us on Instagram at History for Jerks. Oh, it's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Yeah, it's got it out of here. We love you all. Love Thanks everybody. For listening still. This is long time. Long time. Love you. Long time. Truman Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time. Buy their music.